Welcome to Native Calgarian and the Indigenous Book Club. It is June 12th, which means it's Indigenous Awareness Month. And it also means that it's Pride Month. So happy Pride, everybody, and happy Indigenous Awareness Month. I can see something just popped up on my screen. So it's going to chug for a minute, but don't, don't worry. Uh, the audio and the video, for whatever reason, in the end seems to be fine once it's recorded. Just kind of weird in the moment when we're talking. So I also want to start by acknowledging the uh, Pulse shooting anniversary. Uh, I think it's important mm. that we do that, especially today and especially in today's atmosphere. Uh, I just got a call out for folks interested in Lethbridge that there's going to be another uh, public library um, protest against a drag show. So if you can attend, it's in Lethbridge. Uh, I have some friends in Lethbridge that are aware of it. So they'll be attending uh, the counter protest and go from there. Cause I think that's the best thing that we can do right now. Um, so I want to acknowledge all of those folks who unfortunately lost their lives in the pulse shooting and encourage other folks to attend, not just pride events, not just counter uh, protests, but also the indigenous events that are happening uh, across the, the nation and push those provincial and, and municipal governments to do more and acknowledge this day uh, federally as a holiday for all people, not just uh, federal employees. So just wanted to throw that out there. I'm gonna start by acknowledging where I'm at. I'm on Blackfoot territory. Uh, this place has been taken care of by the Blackfoot for since the beginning. And then in 1877, Treaty 7 was signed with uh, the Siksika, Bagani, and um, Gainai. And I always acknowledge the Blackfeet south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border because the border crossed them <laughs> at the end of the day. But the Treaty 7 was signed with the Stoney as well, the uh, Chiniki Wesley Bearspaw Nations, and the uh, Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. So although the government has broken all of the treaties, um, you know, you as treaty partners in a time of reconciliation can do more to honor those treaties and see, see your role as a treaty partner in reconciliation. So that's kind of the intro. Uh, all Indigenous get to speak first. And I noticed that we have a few folks here that um, I haven't noticed your names before. So I'm just gonna pause for one moment yeah, so thanks folks for permission to record. Uh, we definitely wanna move forward the best way we can. Uh, so our selection is Five Little Indians by Michelle Good. And I did send her a Zoom link in the hopes that she could come, but I guess she couldn't come. And which is understandable because she just released yet another book. So imagine she's going to be busy on another book tour. So I'm sure if we watch for like a word fest or something that she might even come into town. And if you're at the university, which I know we have a few folks here who have those tentacles, uh, if you hear her coming, let us know. And then maybe we can watch or, or Zoom. I try to share them on my social medias for folks who are, are interested. So, um, so Five Little Indians, this might be one of my favorite books I've ever read. And I very rarely finish books, as you all know, because one, they're either incredibly too triggering or two, I just think they're lame. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm reading this book, but this book is fam just fantastic. Um, I think for a lot of non-Indigenous, 
even after they read the TRC, which you are a very small minority, so hats off to you all. Um, for folks who actually do, they don't really understand the impact that, the, that it still has. And I, th I think that this book is one of the first real good ones to showcase how that happens and by, by quite a few individuals. And one of my favorite parts at the end, because I lived it, um, was when they were saying, you know, we're, we're going to have this lawsuit. And when we started to do the outreach, how it, how it was triggering. And we actually lost tons of our elders and, and uh, we continue to lose more of our people because of how traumatizing and triggering this is without enough cultural resources. So this was one of my favorite books I, I've come across in a long time. Um, and at the very end where they had the uh, daughter of the two who, who uh, had, this, had this girl you know, and she was so mad at her dad forever for not understanding why he couldn't stick around and having her realize for the first time, oh, now I'm starting to understand why. Because like my generation went through this 100% where we just had these awful human beings in our life and we could never understand why. They couldn't talk about it because they were gaslit for, for decades. And only once the truth started to come out, could families start to heal and the next generation could start to heal. Jeez, I don't want to get too emotional. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there. I absolutely loved this book and would recommend it to all settlers to read. I heard a rumor once that they were going to think they were thinking about making it into some kind of like production, which I hope they do. And uh, I should probably talk about um, Bones of Crows. Uh, that's in the theaters right now. So if anybody wants to talk about that and put it out there, please don't hesitate in this book club. I uh, just really encourage people to go. I was given free tickets, but I, I didn't have the courage to go in public. I, I don't think I could see that right now because I just lost my, my granny and my grandpa. So I, I just don't think I can do that right now. So anyway, I will pass the mic and I'll let our new friend uh, tell us a little bit about this book from her point of view. If you got a chance to read it, if you didn't, that's okay. Just let us know and we'll pass. And then we'll just go down, you know, Kat, Eleanor, Rosemary, um, Marla, Marie, uh, Marnie, Mike, Nicole, and, and Siri. And we'll go from there. Yeah. Do you want to unmute yourself? Yeah. Um, so, no, because I only find out about this, this this morning when I text you. Sure. Um, being, I guess, an academic mentality. So I immediately went to research a little bit on the book. Um, and I did um, her um, listen to a, a, a video about by the author. So she read a, a big chunk of chapter three. Um, and just kind of like the dynamic that happens in the hotel with uh, with the triggers when she quits um, the job, Ryan Diller wants to get kicked out of her her work as well. Um, that was spicy. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't I I like I I haven't really read it, but I, I I tried to look into that, and like also the first thing that came to my mind is like, it was. Five little Indians. So I work into a in a school teaching kids in my country English because, well, that's one of my skills. So, and then I remember uh, this song, right? Ten little Indians. And then I remember, you know, uh, 
using the song to teach and then I, I'm thinking I'm like what what the hell was that you know what was I doing but it's like you don't have that perspective like I did not have the perspective on 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 the dimension right or like anything completely blind you know in my country even though uh, my grandma herself is from the frontier of Ecuador so she's also indigenous but it's just like we don't learn anything about our own people my grandma denies her own identity which is you know like that's kind of like the thing that I grew up with so like to come here and and, and see this terrible thing with the with the residential schools and everything it's just like I honestly I wouldn't have come to Canada if I knew <laughs> mm, yeah that's fair so yeah I don't know I guess that's all I can say yeah you might be interested to find out I just uh I had shared this article about the amount of immigrants that are actually leaving Canada because of the amount of racism and lack of opportunity that's actually here because one we won't recognize their education but of course the immense racism that us uh, BIPOC actually experience so you know uh just so you know like I totally understand your mom's sentiments and uh it, it's funny my my stepmom and that side they're white they're from Austria and they still experience so much anti-immigrant um sentiment that a lot of times they're like why are we here so mm -hmm. I just you know want to amplify and and validate what you're saying for sure yeah okay um if you have anything else no i i, I think it was just that i'm definitely gonna grab it from from the uh, university library tomorrow but oh good yeah yeah and kind of reflect on the name that that was my main reflection because you know, I have that impulse, like that academic impulse, like I need to research about this, I need to look this up, I need to have, you know, all this background, but then I was like, okay, how do I connect with this title, you know, and then I thought about that, so that terrible son, you know, that I'm like teaching pre-K kids, you know, when I'm like, when I was 18, when I was working as a, because I've been working since I was like younger, right, so when I was working in, in a kindergarten, then in my country, and I was just like, oh, wow. Hmm. You know, I, I, it's a great point. This probably be the only time I wouldn't scold people for using the term Indians because it's part of the title, but uh, definitely not a preferred term, that's for sure. So, but Michelle Good obviously can say it because she wrote it. So hats off to her. I wish I was, I wish I could write as well as she does. Like she just sucks you in with every character in a second. So I, I have nothing but accolades to say about this book. Um, I, I'll just go alphabetically. Kat, do you want to uh, unmute and, and let us know what you thought of this book? You bet. Um, I think regarding the term Indian, one of the characters actually does address that and talks about how they're called Indians in the Indian Act. And until that's changed, um, I guess they will still use the term. Um, you probably said everything, Michelle. I love this book too. All the characters are so beautifully written. Um, it's so moving. And um, yeah, I read this book last year and had uh, was really, uh, the, and it stuck with me a long, long time. So I was grateful to be able to, to revisit these, these folks and see that some of them had happy endings. So that's very warm. And yeah, I don't want to talk anymore because yeah, I get very emotional about it too. And I've been emotional lately and I don't want to 
put my white tears out there for you. So I'm just going to shut up now. Oh, God. Um, so if she's going to be quiet, I'm going to brag for her, uh, the Settler Book Club. She's been working really hard on anti-racism training and Indigenous education. So if you are interested in being a part of another book club, it um, it's about two weeks ahead of mine and um, you know does great books. I wish I could be at all of the book clubs because I think they're all great books. And she kind of gets some of the newer ones in her um, in her in her book right away. But I, for folks who don't know, whatever I'm gifted at Christmas literally becomes my book club selections for the rest of the year. So I force myself to read them. So um, that's really where I'm at anyway. So yeah, go I, ahead, Kat. Yeah. I plan my list before and then asked for all those books for Christmas. So that's how I work it. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. You know, my dad always finds these like weird one-offs. Like he yeah. gave me one from Ethan Hawke out of all people, right? So like I, I find, I'm like, well, I'm not putting that in my book club, but I'm still kind of forcing myself to read through them. So um, yeah, I get you. And that's, that's really smart. And obviously I think in January, one of the first ones I'll be thinking about is Michelle Good's next book that's yeah. just coming out that I'm super excited. I want to read ahead, but you know, we have other books. So. I, won't, I won't put that one on my list then. Yeah, for sure. Check with you so we can work things out. And Oh, don't hesitate. I never want you to stop your list because uh, I think it's important. And besides, if we had the exact same list, timing right like some people can't hit my book club or, or can yeah. you know so so never feel bad about that uh okay. thanks so cat and and a great ally she also gave uh samantha she wanted these like lesbian shoelaces and she gave them to her so cat thank you for always you know thinking of samantha and and us as a family i appreciate that um eleanor you're next if you want to unmute yourself Thanks, Michelle. Um, this is the first time I've attended this book club, so it's really a pleasure to meet all of you. And I know Michelle from, of course, outside this book club as well. Um, I read the book a few months ago, so I have to admit I'm not, um, I don't remember the detail as much as I should, but I do remember how I felt about the book overall. And I would just echo, Michelle, what you and Kat both said. You can read facts about residential schools, but it's what Michelle Good does with the characters and how she brings them to life that's so incredibly moving. And I have to say, I sobbed my way, you know, through massive portions of this book. And, um, you know, it just elicits emotions that you really didn't even know uh, you had because you, you don't even know enough. So it just, I thought the way she brought um, the five and more than five characters experiences to life was wonderful and meaningful in every way. And I thought too, you know, I've had discussions with people who talk about truth and reconciliation in residential schools, and they really do think it would be better if the people who experience these things would move on. You know, they, they say, why can't people just forget about this? You know, it would be better for people emotionally if they could just connect, disconnect from this and move on. And I think what the author does so well is help us understand why that's absolutely not possible. And I think that's one of the biggest things, the biggest lessons that I learned from 
this book is um, just how lasting the impact of residential schools was. And I thought another thing the author did really well is, you know, there's some overlap in the experiences of the characters, but the way that each of them deals with this essentially the same background is incredible as well. And it helps the reader, I think, not stereotype, you know, stereotype people's experiences with residential schools, which I think is something that we tend to do as well. So um, for what it's worth, those are my, those are my comments. Love the book. Oh, I'm so as happy. all of you did. Yeah. Oh, good, good. And yeah, if you think of something later, like don't hesitate to raise your hand or whichever, um, because and sometimes somebody else will say something and you want to build on that. So don't hesitate. It's an open, open conversation, really. So Rosemary, you're next on my list here. We can't hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, so I want to, yeah, I as a white settler, I totally agree as Eleanor does with what you said, Michelle, about um, how, how this book goes way beyond the truth and reconciliation commission in terms of trying to engender some real understanding and compassion and uh, you know the, we, we use the term over and over that people were traumatized they're re-traumatized but this book brings to life how that plays out in people's lives and when we read this for Cat's book club Kat showed us a video that where Michelle Good was being interviewed. And she actually read, I think, hundreds, of, if not thousands of psychological reports of residential school survivors. And so these, these five characters are a reflection of everything that she was reading, those people's real experiences. And there were just some phrases that stood out for me, like, uh, you know, Kenny's mom, Bella, and what happened, like I said, it's the children, and we forget about the parents and the grandparents. Well, look what happened to Bella. Uh, she just felt like, you know, a big part of her was gone once Kenny was gone. And, and there was a phrase about villages without children. And, and it, it, like Michelle Good is, is such a craftsperson with words, you know, villages without children. And then later, like Kenny, like you're just rooting for Kenny all through it. And yet he ends up dying, right? And, uh, but he also, he talked about, he said, they call us survivors, but he felt like he had died and was still walking around. And I found that to be a very powerful, powerful statement. And, uh, <clears throat> When I wrote the review for this, for the newsletter, like I said, this is an emotionally charged book and so impactful. And I, I think every, every settler should read it. I'm not going to say 
I love this book, but every settler should read it because we need to know and understand. Well said, here, here. Did Don get a chance to read it too? I don't think so. Fair, yeah, fair. <clears throat> oh, it's a beautiful book. I'm so grateful everybody like was really impacted by it in such a good way. Well, in a, in a meaningful way, like kind of back to the questions that, you know, I, I, I posed to folks about, you know, how did this impact you? Like, this is a, one of those real deal books. And I'm really, really grateful for everybody telling us their interpretation of it. So uh, I think Marla is next. Hello. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's sort of the wrong thing to say. I love this book, right? But um, I'm just going to keep echoing the sentiments of everyone. Um, uh, nothing beats in my mind uh, uh, someone that can put words together that make you think and make you cry. I mean, it's so, uh, it's not often a, a book brings you to tears. And um, I really, I think Kenny hit me hardest, just his whole story. Um, by all of the characters, you know, the, the ways that they were trying to make it in the world, despite, you know, what had happened to them and, um, the way that she interwove the characters, um, I think was really special because it wasn't just kind of five unique people, um, but understanding how, then how those relationships were, were, like save them at times and then we're also so challenging for them too. Um yeah, really, really meaningful book. I I so I I come to this book club, my mind goes a thousand places at once. So on on Friday I was at a Kairos blanket exercise. And so this was on my mind at the same time because I had finished reading it. And so that was actually uh, really meaningful too. Not, I mean, the exercise itself was was very meaningful. Um, another way, right, to kind of um, help you learn in, you know, a way that isn't normally available to you as to what what the impact or, I mean, for a second, how it might have felt. For a second um but you know actually afterwards we sat in a circle and debriefed with one another and the facilitators um one of the women she said you know my parents and she's young she's young i'm 50 she's younger than me i mean i don't i would guesstimate 30s and she talked about her parents having to tell her to hide in the hay bales. So that's not very long ago. Um, yeah. Well, uh, just to give you a perspective, like I graduated high school in a white school in 94. And as we know, the last residential school closed in 96, but then we found out with Calvinist First Nation, there were a few 97. And uh, so just to give perspective, so I'm like, what, 46 now? And, um, you know, it, one of the parts of the book that really scared me because it's true 
um, if it wasn't for being with my white father, how many times I would have been stolen from a priest or an, or an RCMP or a city police officer, right? Um, and like, I know my dad let me go up to Yellowknife with my mom as a baby. And in retrospect, he's quite lucky I came back in retrospect. But by that time, they were married and she would have lost her status. So technically, she wasn't an Indian. So technically, if they would have tried to steal me, that would have been like, I'm sure my dad would have raised hell and got me back right away. But regardless, you know, that's the way it is today with social services, like today, um, the activism I do, there's, I, I'm afraid all the time that some social worker is going to come at my door and take my child because it's still that way, because I'm still a ward of the state under the Indian Act. And, um, you know, people think we have this freedom um, in Canada and natives do not have that freedom. And it's just, it can't be emphasized enough. And this is 2023, right? And um, I, I had a friend on, on Facebook today talking about how these folks had labeled her a dangerous person because she stood up for herself to a police officer, not physical, not violent, just, you know, said, no, this isn't right. And now she's labeled, you know, like that, that's what it is being native. And it is 2023. And now she's worried about her kid getting apprehended. Right. And like every day that sounds a little closer to turning 16, 17, 18, I know I can be a little stronger with the words I say, and we're days away from her turning 16, and I'm, I'm praying that they don't come and apprehend her. Like, that's still where we're at, because they have every right to, because Canada is not free if you're Native, right? So it's an excellent point, and that's why the um, part was so terrifying when he went to go visit his auntie, and the priest seen him and, and was apprehended, right? that yeah. absolutely happened repeatedly so many times and it happens today with social services too so yeah 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 well speaking of that and this isn't residential school but 60s scoop um i don't know if anyone has started watching little bird on crave oh my god like that is powerful um yeah <laughs> I mean, it's the same situation. Yeah, the same situation. You know, and then and then I was at um I was at an event on Fort at Fort Calgary on the weekend. And um it was really neat. They did a little tour with Indigitrails. Trails. So that's a cool app, kind of teaches you some history. But there was an artist there, um, Sika Panaki from um Siksika Reserve. She's um had done three panels outside Fort Calgary. And so she was walking us through that. And she said she graduated or was trying to graduate. She was in her fourth year. Uh, what is that? University of the Arts used to be ACAD. Can't remember the name now, but uh, um, going through adjudication and this stand-in professor tells her, how can you say you do traditional art traditional indigenous art when your parents were in residential school. <laughs> so she had the courage to ask them all to leave. 
I'm not going to finish this with you. Because that's inappropriate. You know, and which took an extra year away from her, right? They stole that from her. Um, but that's a common yeah. story for Indigenous. People ask, why don't you guys have more university? Isn't it for free? And it's like, okay, let's pretend for, well, let's pretend money falls out of the trees and we suddenly go to school. We are so discriminated against by the students. We are expected to do free racial training on the spot all the time, like I have to do in all my other organizations. And it's so painful and hurtful, these off the comment, off the, off the mark comments that people make, they don't even know how awful. And that's why I talk about racial battle fatigue so much. So like I, I, every native I know has $30,000, $50,000 debt minimum from, from university. But that bigger picture is they have a lifetime of battle wounds and scars of racial battle fatigue and hate from these colonial institutions that mistreat us, right? I can't emphasize it enough. And so when you see a native with an actual degree, just know how hard they had to fight. And one of my good friends who I love to pieces, you know, he had somebody, he's two-spirit and somebody said to him, well, you know, you don't reference any native women and denied him his PhD. So it's been, you know, how many years him trying to go through this process again with a less jerk off of a professor to article under, right? So this is common for us. We are struggling through universities. If you see a university student know that they've worked 20 billion times harder than any non-Indigenous person to be where they're at. So that's a great point. So you went to the car, Carlo, car terrace uh, blanket exercise. You went to Fort Calgary. You've watched Little Bird. Holy, you're you're doing the work. I'm trying to. Yeah. I'm trying to. But I'll leave it. I'll leave it with this. So so at Fort Calgary, there was an elder that gave um, an opening prayer, and he said a few words afterwards. And he's like, you know, uh, so he did his opening prayer in Blackfoot. Um, but then afterwards, he spoke a bit in English and he said, um, talked about land acknowledgements and how they shouldn't just be words on paper, right? Um, which, of course, is true. And he said, when I pray, I welcome you, welcome you to the land. I pray for your health. And the least you can do, I mean, he said it nicer than this, right? But the least you can do is put some thought into your land acknowledgement. And that is going to, like, uh, it just, his graciousness and, you know, the graciousness of everybody, every every person that is giving an opening prayer, after all they've been through, to still welcome you and pray for you is just, um, I, I, I don't think I, I would not have that in me to be that kind. I recently heard, um, you know, it is self-love to not just forgive the ignorance of, of settlers, but to continue to love them like you would a child. And I think that's how um, it, 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 it is. Because every time I show up at a table knowing it's not Indigenous friendly, and I go I do it for the greater good. And I always talk about honoring my ancestors. And it, it's, if you talk to any elder in Treaty 7, they will talk about the importance of us honoring treaties and honoring our ancestors. So 
you know, we have an obligation, not just to the treaty, not just to our ancestors, not just like for me, when I think of all of the ancestors that I have in my own lineage, what they went through in order for me to be here talking to you right now, the very minimum I can do is run this book club. Like that's nothing compared to the legal world they had to go through, the Indian residential schools, social services, like racism in every aspect of our society, yeah. very least I can do. And so that's why I do the podcast. That's why I do the um, book club. But the idea of it being self-love, like it, I think that's why black um, artists give as much as they do too. Because at the end of the day, it is healing for us to go through these battles and come out unscarred or at least be able to tell the story of each scar right so I think it's wonderful and I just think it's wonderful you're watching that show and um you know and, and encouraging people to watch it because I can say the sky is blue until I'm blue in the face but when a white person says the sky is blue people go oh the sky must be blue right because that bias is so deep so I appreciate you sharing all of that here Anything else you want to add, Marla? I'm good. Thank okay. you so much. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so who's next? I think Marnie. I think Marnie, you're up. If you want to unmute. Oh, well. First thing I feel the need to do is just to hold and honor what you've been sharing with us, Michelle. It's, it's, uh, it's really big and it feels... Um, very generous of you to share it in the way that you do. So I thank you and for this book club. So um, I'm going to be absolutely the same as everybody else. This is one of the best books I've ever read. I read it many years ago, shortly after it first came out because I've been in several book clubs where it has been read. And I haven't reread it for this meeting because I haven't had a chance. I think I lent my copy to someone, I haven't seen it, but, but you know, in some ways, I think when, um, I don't remember who it was, was it, was it you, Karina, maybe, who said that, that um, Michelle Good read thousands, or Eleanor, I don't remember who said this, read thousands of testimonies, Eleanor, and who came up with this. I think, I think maybe that, that struck me because I don't remember the characters, but I remember the story so deeply. It really went deep into me. And um, I think it's very easy for us to hear about residential schools. And well, it's not easy to hear about them, but it was worse to live through them, to, to hear about residential schools. And they're kind of in a box. You're there till you're 18 and then that's finished. And what this book so admirably does is demonstrate how residential schools never finish and how they are so completely a tool of genocide and they're, they're being used in Tibet by Chinese people. They're being used in um, uh, all over the world. This idea of stealing the children and taking them to indoctrination labor camps and, um, and then being released. And I think the one story, and I don't remember the name of the character that sticks with me, is the girl who's put on the bus by the nun and given like 17 
effing dollars or something and saying good luck. That, and then you, we wonder why indigenous people end up on the street, why indigenous people end up in poverty. It's, it's so designed for that. And throughout the book, I kept thinking of that painting by Kent Monkman. Do you know the painting I mean? If not, you ought to look it up. The Scream. Um, Kent, the Scream. Kent Monkman's a wonderful artist. He's two-spirit, he's indigenous. And he, he um, this, this painting is of children being taken the mothers reaching for them, trying to keep them, the grandmothers, the RCMP, just, just taking the kids. And it, it perfectly captures what happens. So I think this book should be in every Canadian school. Um, every high school should read this book and it should be mandatory reading for every white person who lives on this continent because it didn't just happen here, it happened south of the border. It's a powerful and wonderful book. And I thank you for bringing it up, Michelle. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of backtrack to what you said about the bus, though. Like that happens every single day in Canada today by yeah. social services, kicking our kids out on the street. And if they're lucky enough to make it home, then we can try to save them. But again, that's MMIW. That's why we have so many. Because social services does not help these children. They just say, oh, you're, happy birthday. You're out, right? And um, they never set these children up for success if they're not already in active addiction prior to, um, you know, today they put kids in hotel rooms. So these girls have figured out they can pimp themselves out, you know, pay for their addiction and it's paid for by the government and they're at incredible high risk. And that is today right now and that's why I'm so afraid of them taking Samantha because that's exactly where she would go it's disgusting and it's all written in reports and every year we get to read of new ones right and every other week I'm doing a vigil for one of our kids thanks to the carelessness of all the governments so it's, it, it's right now it's not just careless it's intention yep that's why we call it genocide and that's sad when People try to fight back on that. And like Eleanor was saying, get over it. Yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Talk about not knowing the issues, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also having, um, I imagine there's a profound lack of human empathy. If mm -hmm. you can't, if you can't feel what that must be like. And um, yeah. So yeah. maybe books like this are important in part because you, understand the character because you're inside the character and it helps you see what could be so yeah thank you yeah no thank you um and i think i might try to bring up the uh, bones of crows trailer because basically kent monkman's painting is recreated with michelle thrush acting it right like it's it's for real like even watching the trailer i can't watch it so when i was given these tickets to give away i gave them to whoever wanted them no problem but I, there's no way I could watch this right now because it is real life acting of this situation and not from a white settler um, point of view, it's actually from an indigenous one. So it's, it actually shows how awful priests are, how awful police are, how awful settlers can be towards us because you're not gonna get white settlers tell that truth. They don't know how to do that. Like the only time I've seen a white settler get hate was, um, 
geez, that movie called, I want to say American History X, and it was about white supremacy. That was like one of the only movies that I saw that really captured the hate that we get as not being white, right? It's uh, Edward Norton. It's quite old now, um, but that's the only time I've seen a white person understand that kind of hate. So, and it was probably Jewish if I looked harder. Maybe that's why they got it. Who knows? So anyway, I'm getting off topic here. Who is next? Mike, would you like to unmute and, and tell us uh, what, about this book from your point of view? Yeah, thank you. Um, first, I, I just really want. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Sorry that's about it. that. Um, before I did that, I just wanted to share. So, my name is Mike, and my pronouns are he, his, and him. I am a white settler of Dutch descent, and I was born in Tilsonburg, Ontario, which is the traditional territory of the Anishin Nebek, the Haudenosaunee, and the Adewandaran. Um, and I was also going to say that I am a Treaty 7 partner through the government who signed on my behalf. Um, yeah, I, I was going to talk about the way in which fiction brings to life the experience, but I think everybody's covered that really well. Um, when I was reading this book, I was also reading a book which was actually written by a Canadian author, but it was about people who lived in East Prussia in the Second World War and what they were going through. And to use the same word that you just used, genocide, I think we're all very comfortable with looking at that experience of people in Europe and saying, yes, that's genocide, and seeing uh, SS officers taking people from the arms of other people and saying that's genocide um so it was there were very striking parallels between the two books and um yeah i think the other thought that i had is that the reasoning if you were to believe it right so the reasoning that there were residential schools from the settler point of view was to educate people who they felt couldn't educate themselves. Um, but they actually didn't prepare, right? Like if the role of a school is to prepare people for life, then how unprepared the people who survived, right? How unprepared were they when you give them a bus ticket and send them to the downtown east side or you know you release them to nowhere um let alone the ones who didn't survive and the name in there was i think it was lily she's one of the ones who didn't make it right and just the di you know the difference because um i subscribed to the podcast and it sent a notification and it said two years ago was 215. Um, and when I saw the email, I was like, I'm not sure what the 215 is. And Marla said, well, it's, that's the residential school. And it's just that difference, right? For each of those 215 people had a name, right? And 
you know, it gets, sometimes it does get lost, but when you read a story and you hear about Lily, then you understand that each of them had two parents and had a background and had people who loved them and will never see them again. So yeah, I would echo what I think Marnie and maybe some others said about this being part of the curriculum schools, like it should be mandatory reading because it will make people ask questions and wonder and want to learn more because um, I think I think that's what fiction can do right that sometimes sitting in and hearing history doesn't translate that same way so I'm really glad you put it on the list and I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to read it well I'm really glad that you chimed in and you told us uh your thoughts on it and that you took the time to read it etc so just thank you all for being part of this book club and having somebody to kind of go on this ride with um funny enough i was on facebook today and somebody had posted a picture of their residential school and there was train tracks it literally looked like Auschwitz. just it just chilled me looking at it because of course i'm just reading the book too i'm like this close to finishing so um but I, I really cried a lot during the last part of candy so I was like I need a break <laughs> so I didn't finish the last chapter yet but I will before um this is done recording so anyway it's uh it's it was really chilling seeing that because um you know it for a lot of folks uh in our community we've talked about how Hitler laid the groundwork after looking at what that had been done in North America and I was like, this is a little too real for me. I didn't realize Auschwitz was like this close to probably what he's seen, but here we are. And um, just really sad because, uh, you know, for a lot of our babies that were born from impregnated uh, priests and that they were just burned there on the spot and we had to bury our own babies. It was, it was horrible. So I, I appreciate you bringing up Prussia and, you know, that time because it, it, it was real. There's nothing nice to say about it that's for sure um and then i will pause sort of part of our that's okay <laughs> part of our history as well and hopefully it will encourage people to look at what uh the trc did and look at um the american indian movement and i don't know too like i said i don't know too much about it i don't know how um indigenous people in canada in small C Canada um, uh, worked with um, Indigenous across the border. Um, but yeah, I yeah thought that was a, a good thing um, to think about. Um, I don't, um, the best way to say about the American Indian movement was that they figured out that they have rights. Um, just to share a quick story about uh, Patrick Deranger, who passed away. A lot of folks here would know who he was. Um, he was really sweet and kind to me, even though he was a Chippewa Dene. Oh, thanks, Eleanor. Thanks. Um, he, uh, he told me that a lot of Indigenous people didn't have the language of talking about the oppression. He's always been impressed and he would call me the younger generation. I'm so impressed with you younger generation that you have the words to articulate what, what we were doing. So AIM was realizing this is wrong and they united. 
and um, they had a they took over Alcatraz because at that time there was no more prisoners in there and my husband went to Alcatraz in the late 90s and like the it, this is Indian land is still on there and um, so the roots are there I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you uh, Leonard Peltier uh, is in jail in the States and he's a political prisoner. Uh, but that said, at that time was still very misogynistic, even the Black Panthers were. And um, there's a, a woman named Annie Mae Anquash and she went down to the States and it is believed that um, she was murdered by them in the worst way. At one point in time, they were certain she was some informant and accused her of that and put a gun in her mouth, but then later actually murdered her. And some people say it was the FBI who did it, but we all think it was the AIM leadership actually, because they were really paranoid and untrustworthy. And if you notice, I never say free Leonard Peltier because while he is in jail for the wrong reason, uh, if you look into it, I don't care if he stays there and dies because I think that more people should be absolutely staying in jail the rest of their life for the way they murder Indigenous people. And, um, and that was really cold-blooded what they did to her. Um, so, and a lot of people think I'm wrong, but I'm going to support her family who believe that Leonard Peltier and the leadership there did it. And I'm, I, I see misogyny from our, male, our males today. And until that goes away, I just don't have the that strength but that doesn't mean the concept wasn't wrong the concept was right right and uh so today it, it's interesting because we have this conversation a lot during all of our vigils for mmiw because a lot of the women don't feel comfortable with aim being there because they were still very abusive misogynistic men but the new generation i would argue one don't know the history but two um you know, they, they're not the same. They're not the same at all. So I hope that AIM will be seen with a good light here soon. But uh, I also want to see good movement coming from that, right? Like, like Bear Clan, for example, um, Bear Clan didn't need to exist if AIM was doing that work, right? But they're not. So I think it's just going to take time. And the other part is too, is that men do need support. Indigenous men. They're not given the same support. Most Indigenous men, the first time they've ever attended a ceremony is in jail. And that is awful and wrong, but that shows, you know, in Canada, the lack of cultural supports so that people can experience these ceremonies long before they, they're in, in the system. But the system is still designed to keep us in the system. So how else aren't they, right? So like, I, I would never blame our men for you know, being in jail or <coughs> when you're imposed poverty, what choices do you have but illegal activities? And when police hate you so much and throw you in jail for the stupidest things, and then you just get record after record and the legal system is awful, right? So this is where we're at. So anyway, I see four messages in the chat that I can't see. Eleanor, I have another meeting at eight. So I understand this land podcast episode five talks directly about the link and the attack on Aqua and the oil and gas companies and the indigenous legal blog on Aqua. 
which is great. Thank you so much for those, Siri. So yeah, all right, folks. Well, I didn't think we would wrap up so early today, but we, we seem to have. Um, if you want, I could uh, try to find something with Michelle Good, but um, if we wanna just call it, because it's stupidly hot and I'm, I have a cough, I'm trying to not cough all over you all. Stupid air quality. But climate change doesn't exist, right, folks? Can go I ahead, just, just unmute yourself. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Before we go, guys, I just wanted to mention that we have talked about a lot about like the role of education. And it's also something that she touches on the book because that part of the chapter that I did listen to, she was so proud that she got a B plus, right? And she was really keeping, you know, that paper in her hands. And I just like, you know, thinking about institutions and systems and systems of oppression, which school falls into that, right? But like, you know, it makes me really curious to how education still has a paper in 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 our life like a, a place for hope you know but sometimes it's terrible like in the in the in the preview of the movie that you show I think there is a line that says you know what you taught them was education it was like um cruelty so I don't know I mean I guess because I I feel like when I talk and and I share with the students and you know, like even having the student life up to my PhDs, like I, I find it like such a liberating process too, right? Um, it's, it's, it's something to deal with, particularly for me, you know, like think about like, you know, how the institution and, and the education institution can create, can, you know, deliver a genocide for instance, right? But how also like has this other, Side, you know, as like in the book shows, like it's empowering, right? Like she, there was some sort of like openness and liberation from it. Yeah, that's that's something that I'm gonna think about tonight for sure. Mm. Oh, for sure, that's great. Thanks for adding that. I think Kat um, wanted to speak too. Yes, this is Settlers Book Club next book, Making Love with the Land by. Joshua Whitehead for Pride Month as well as Indigenous Month. So nice. That's our book. Nice. And I'm so grateful for this book club and you and your teachings and everyone's good ideas and thoughts and wisdom. You always come up with some really great things, everyone. So um, I really appreciate all of you. Awesome. Well, I really encourage everybody to write a good review. Um, because as you know, Indigenous authors get attacked by racist reviews, uh, by racists. So if you, if you have the time and energy, maybe do that. Write a good review. And thank you all for coming.